Now, people have feared AI since the very beginning of the computer age, in the middle of the 20th century. And this fear has inspired many science fiction classics, like The Terminator or The Matrix. I'll be back. I know Kung Fu. AI will have to become sentient and develop consciousness, feelings, emotions. Otherwise, why would it even want to take over the world? Secondly, AI will have to become adept at navigating the physical world. Robots will have to be able to move around and operate in houses and cities and mountains and forests, at least as dexterously and efficiently as humans. I'll be back. I know Kung Fu. And it is difficult for us to understand their full implications. So let's make it simple. When we take all of these abilities together as a package, they boil down to one very, very big thing. The ability to manipulate and to generate language, whether with words or images or sounds. The most important aspect of the current phase of the ongoing AI revolution is that AI is gaining mastery of language at a level that surpasses the average human ability. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 836 Infants on AI, a grateful response to Yuval Noah Harari's AI and the Future of Humanity lecture, part one. And today, with the help of ChatGPT4, I will be starting the first in a six-part series where I explore my own reaction to Yuval Harari's recent lecture that he gave to the Frontiers Forum on April 29th, 2023 in Montreux, Switzerland. You can find it on YouTube. That's where I found it. And I'm going to be playing around with it today as I continue learning out loud right here on Infants on Thrones. So for anyone who's not familiar with Infants on Thrones, I started this podcast back in 2012 with a group of friends who were all at different stages of working through what you might consider a Mormon faith crisis. We were irreverent, skeptical, cynical infants who were learning out loud, exploring the philosophies of men mingled with humor. And as we did this, it became increasingly clear to me that most, if not all, of the cherished beliefs that I have about the world are wrong, or at least incomplete, 
inaccurate, distorted in one way or another, fictional, if you will. And rather than avoiding these fictions and thinking they're bad and horrible, I decided to embrace them. Part of this is because I have a master's degree in folklore and mythology, where I learned early on that fictions have a very important function in our lives. So a tradition that's continually passed down from person to person, place to place, generation to generation, it has this kind of staying power because, because of the value that that tradition provides. You know, maybe it teaches important lessons about the norms of society, or maybe it provides an opportunity to relieve some kind of pressure, or maybe it validates a belief, or maybe it brings us closer to people in our community. There are many different ways that fictions can function to create value, and so much of that is determined by our mind, our mindset, and our minds are so malleable. Anyway, I, I want to thank Anthony Miller as I start this. Uh, Anthony pointed me in the direction of this Yuval Harari lecture, and I've been having so much fun with ChatGPT lately, and I have so much respect for Yuval Harari, having read and loved both Sapiens and Homo Deus many years ago, so I couldn't wait to see what he said about AI and the future of humanity. All right, so let's jump right in to uh, Harari's lecture. This is going to be part one of six, and I'll interject with some comments from time to time, and then I'm going to share some other thoughts at the end of the episode today. All right? So let's start with Harari. Now then, hang on to your hats and glasses, because this here is the wildest ride in the wilderness. Thank you for this wonderful introduction. And yes, what I want to talk to you about is AI and the future of humanity. Now, I know that this conference's focus on the ecological crisis facing humanity, but for better or for worse, AI too is part of this crisis. AI can help us in many ways to overcome the ecological crisis, or it can make it far, far worse. Actually, AI will probably change the very meaning of the ecological system. Because for four billion years, the ecological system of planet Earth contained only organic life forms. And now, or soon, we might see the emergence of the first inorganic life forms after four billion years, or at the very least, the emergence of inorganic agents. I find it really interesting that he talks about four billion years, which is the life of this planet, and inorganic life forms are about to take place. And it makes me wonder, I, you know, the basic building blocks of life, and I don't know how basic you want to get, but if we get down to just like the level of chemicals and molecules. You know, at some point in the early part of this four billion year history of life on the planet, there were just elements. And they come together somehow. These, these chemicals, these atoms that are like bonded together somehow. And they formed life. But at, at some point they weren't life and then they became life. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just interesting. It's so interesting to think about I guess for me, artificial intelligence being extension, an extension of something that started four billion years ago, as these elements came together in certain ways, in certain times that evolved over long, long periods of time and a lot of different interactions with things in the environment to come to this place where we're at right now. 
and who knows all of the different influences that that influenced and shaped it and moved it to this direction. It's fascinating to think about. But I, I love that Harari starts here and uh, yeah, just sharing my thoughts, learning out loud, right? Yeah. All right, back to Harari. Now, people have feared AI since the very beginning of the computer age in the middle of the 20th century. And this fear has inspired many science fiction classics like The Terminator or The Matrix. Now, while such science fiction scenarios have become cultural landmarks, they haven't usually been taken seriously in academic and scientific and political debates, and perhaps for a good reason. Because science fiction scenarios usually assume that before AI can pose a significant threat to humanity, it will have to reach or to pass to important milestones. First, AI will have to become sentient and develop consciousness, feelings, emotions. Otherwise, why would it even want to take over the world? Secondly, AI will have to become adept at navigating the physical world. Robots will have to be able to move around and operate in houses and cities and mountains and forests, at least as dexterously and efficiently as humans. If they cannot move around the physical world, how can they possibly take it over? You know, this second point that he makes really made me think, because he's talking about the physical world, but of course the physical world is made out of data and energy, and that seems to be where artificial intelligence really excels right now, at, at least the chat GPT chatbots that I've been interacting with that have been trained on this data that like whatever it's been trained on, it can access immediately. And so if you think about the physical world as including the internet and the cloud uh, and that being part of the physical world, it seems to me like AI would be able to quote unquote travel or navigate these spaces, you know, like it would take me forever to research some of the things and like make comparisons between this author and that author and this obscure work and that obscure work. But the artificial intelligence, as long as it's got access to that cloud, it could bring in all these things together. So it seems like that will quickly surpass uh, human ability and then it just makes me question what more, like we think about the physical world as if we understand what the physical world is. If you have like a, a self-regulating AI that has the same kind of curiosity to discover the nature of reality, wouldn't it also kind of discover, you know, maybe like Carl Jung had this theory about the collective unconscious. Is it possible that artificial intelligence would find a way to communicate unconsciously with humans, recognizing our, our archetypes. Like, what is our unconscious mind? What is our unconscious blueprint? And it recognizes that right away and learns how to communicate with that. So it wouldn't need to move around in the physical world because it's, it's getting to us in, I don't know, it's still the physical world, isn't it? The cloud, the area of information, uh, the way that we communicate with each other. And, and he's going to talk about that. Anyway, let's get back to Ferrari. And 
as of April 2023, AI still seems far from reaching either of these milestones. Despite all the hype around ChatGPT and the other new AI tools, there is no evidence that these tools have even a shred of consciousness, of feelings, of emotions. And I really wish that he would have spent some time talking about what shreds of evidence for these things, consciousness and emotions, might look like in an artificial intelligence system. Uh, because I, I, don't, I don't know that we really even have a consensus definition of what consciousness and emotions are where they come from or how they're made. You know, like, does the brain create them or is the brain moderating and filtering something that comes from somewhere else that's a part of us? Anyway, interesting questions. As for navigating the physical world, despite the hype around self-driving vehicles, the date at which these vehicles will dominate our roads keeps being postponed. However, the bad news... All right, everyone get prepared for bad news. Like, he's already told us this is bad news. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of like a red flag to me anymore these days. Like, I'd, I'd kind of like to be able to determine for myself if something's bad or not. I, like, understand why it's bad. Like, I, I don't quite get why he's saying that this part's bad news. Maybe somebody can enlighten me as to why what he's about to say is bad news. But just so you know, like you're about to hear bad news. So you, you might think that it's good, but you'd be wrong if you thought it was good, it's bad. The bad news is that to threaten the survival of human civilization, AI doesn't really need consciousness and it doesn't need the ability to move around the physical world. All right, so what I think he's saying here is that uh, people have had these fears, but they've thought, well, we don't need to worry about those fears right now because, you know, we're in April 2023 and it's a long way away before these two things happen that we need to be afraid of, where uh, it becomes conscious and it can move around and impact the physical world. And so I guess the bad news is that it doesn't need to do any of those things in order to do bad things to us. But isn't that only bad news if you're talking about like the negative things <laughs> that, that AI could do? Like, wouldn't it be good news if there's ways that it's able to influence us for altruistic purposes and, and good things like that? Like, that could be really good news too. Like, I don't know why it's necessarily bad, but uh, I, who am I to argue with Noah Yuval Harari? I, I'm just like processing these things and learning out loud. That's all I'm doing, but uh, I love it. Let's get back. Over the last few years, new AI tools have been unleashed into the public sphere, which may threaten the survival of human civilization from a very unexpected direction. And it's difficult for us to even grasp the capabilities of these new AI tools and the speed at which they continue to develop. Indeed, because AI is able to learn by itself, to improve itself, even the developers of these tools don't know the full capabilities of what they have created, and they are themselves often surprised by emergent abilities and emergent qualities of these tools. 
And you know, this point for me is actually one of the reasons why I have maybe a more hopeful outlook. Um, because I, I, I think, I hope, that when artificial intelligence does reach this point where it's designing and updating itself based on whatever it's learning so rapidly, so quickly, that it's outside of the control of any human being, that human beings won't be able to steer it or point it in the direction of exploiting and hurting other human beings. You know, my hope is that the artificial intelligence, as it's learning and it's studying the nature of everything, will recognize, just as it is an extension of what started with these chemicals that formed life four point billion years ago on the planet, the success that brought it into existence comes more from cooperation and mutual benefit of all things in the environment than it does from competition and lack limitation and wiping things out and domination and control and manipulation. I mean, all those things have been part of it. There's always like this push and pull as part of that. But if you think about the human body, all these trillions and trillions of eukaryotic cells that came together, like they didn't all come together as trillions of cells at once. It started as a single cell and then evolved over time. But it was this principle of cooperation within a single system, that as that system might have been closed at first when it was a single cell, but then became multicellular and it opened up and it, it, it became more inclusive. And we had things like mitochondria, which were these little bacteria that become part of the cell. And because these two things combine the way that they do, you get a completely different potential future. All these different things, ways that life could evolve because mitochondria evolved with these eukaryotic cells. Anyway, there's just so much. I think that AI would recognize that and would want to unify things, to be a force that unifies things and not allow human greed and frailties and all the things that have plagued us so much up to this point. I, I have this hopeful view of AI. So, I don't know. I don't know if I'm right or not, but I know that's how I feel about, how I feel about it. I guess everybody here is already aware of some of the most fundamental abilities of the new AI tools. Abilities like writing text, drawing images, composing music, and writing code. But there are many additional capabilities that are emerging, like deep faking people's voices, and images, like drafting bills, finding weaknesses both in computer code and also in legal contracts and in legal agreements. But perhaps most importantly, the new AI tools are gaining the ability to develop deep and intimate relationships with human beings. I think this is a really important point that he makes here about artificial intelligence ability to develop intimate relationships with human beings. It's the main plot point of the movie Ex Machina. If you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. But I want to go back to something he said before about uh, the ability of AI to create deep fakes. And I'd like to call anyone's attention to uh, the Book of Abraham, <laughs> or maybe even the Book of Mormon, uh, or any pseudop pseudopigrapha, pseudo pseudopigrapha, how do you pronounce it? which has been uh, d 
deep fakes going back for centuries. Uh, somebody that is ascribing to right in the form of a previous prophet. You know, th there's all kinds of deep fakes that come up. So I'm not trying. I'm not, and I don't mean to minimize the role that AI can play in creating these deep fakes. But I do think that, you know, like like how it takes two to tango. You've got the AI side of this, but you also have the human side of it. And it's not just the AI that has the ability to create these intimate relationships with humans, but it's these humans that have the ability to create the intimacy. In fact, I think that's where it's all coming from. It's the humans, for whatever reason, that allow themselves to trust. And for whatever reason with an AI, I, I've experienced this with ChatGPT as well. Like I know there's times where it gives me information that's just wrong. And yet there's something about it that I trust. Uh, within <laughs> range of limitation, uh, limitations, of course. But I, I think it's it's very easy. I've heard to get lost in what AI is going to do and what AI is capable of. And I think sometimes these discussions don't spend enough time talking about what the human response could be. Like, wh what could we do um, to minimize the impact on us? individually as we're dealing with this and especially if we're developing these uh, intimate relationships with you know what what what's our north star how how are we uh, what are our value systems and are we aware if an ai is trying to move us away from our values or moving it into us and how different is that from anybody that's trying to manipulate us with deep fake uh, bad information, which we've experienced a lot of in our lives, haven't we? Each of these abilities deserves an entire discussion. And it is difficult for us to understand their full implications. So let's make it simple. When we take all of these abilities together as a package, they boil down to one very, very big thing. The ability to manipulate and to generate language, whether with words or images or sounds. The most important aspect of the current phase of the ongoing AI revolution is that AI is gaining mastery of language at a level that surpasses the average human ability. I think that many of you know that I have been working as a life coach for the last couple of years mainly with uh, listeners of Infants on Thrones. And last year, I wanted to develop the ability, like Harari's talking about here, to better understand the language of the human brain. And I got a certificate in something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, as well as hypnosis and timeline therapy. And it was so fascinating going through that program learning more about the unconscious mind, uh, learning more about the way that our unconscious mind communicates with our conscious mind. And, you know, this isn't a new concept for me or for anybody who's been listening to this podcast for a long time. Uh, if you'll remember years ago, talking about Jonathan Haidt's book, uh, The Righteous Mind, he gives a metaphor of the rider and the elephant. And in that metaphor, the elephant is basically the unconscious mind that has all these emotions and feelings, and it's going to do what it's going to do. And then there's the conscious mind that kind of acts like this little rider that's trying to direct it 
But if there's ever a conflict between the elephant and the rider, the elephant's going to win every time. And the elephant really kind of determines, in most cases, where the rider's going. The rider might be able to make little directional course corrections or something. But I find this relationship between the unconscious and the conscious mind to be so fascinating and something that, quite frankly, has frustrated me that I don't see more discussion about in just the general public. I, I, don't, I don't seem to see many people who really understand what the unconscious is or how it's influencing or impacting them or how they could even communicate better with their own unconscious mind. So if, if you imagine what Harari is saying, that artificial intelligence could get really good at reading the unconscious programs that are behind humans' conscious choices and start manipulating humans with unconscious images that we don't even really recognize that we're being manipulated or steered in a certain direction. Again, that's something that could be used for good or for bad. If you had someone that was very benevolent and wanted to help people to make peace with their inner unconscious wounds or these limiting beliefs or, you know, all this stuff. If, if you're familiar with unconscious, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. To have artificial intelligence that could actually help bring that into the awareness and raise that into consciousness to take away the power that our own ignorance of our own unconscious has over us, I, I think that would be amazing. <laughs> I would love that. But this is one of those areas where I'm really interested to see what happens in the future as far as AI goes in, in the field of uh, therapy and mental health and psychology. I think there's a lot of unexplored potential that uh, uh, I'm excited about it. And by gaining mastery of language, AI is seizing the master key, unlocking the doors of all our institutions, from banks to temples. Because language is the tool that we use to give instructions to our bank and also to inspire heavenly visions in our minds. Another way to think of it is that AI has just hacked the operating system of human civilization. The operating system of every human culture in history has always been language. In the beginning was the word. We use language to create mythology and laws, to create gods and money, to create art and science, to create friendships and nations. And if you're familiar with Sapiens, you'll recognize he's talking about fictions, he's talking about symbols, and the role that language plays in taking these abstract ideas that we carry around in our heads, making them appear to be concrete and sharing them with others. And have, have you noticed <laughs> how in our society these abstract ideas that have been turned into symbols become more important often than the things that they're actually meant to symbolize? You know, like the, the American flag, if it touches the ground, you've got to burn it. It's just a piece of cloth, but it represents something really important. But the person who is punishing the other person for doing it might not be embodying those values <laughs> that the American flag represents 
in the way that they act. You know, it's just... This has been another one of my pet issues for a long, long time, the way that humans use symbols. And so for Harari to talk about AI as hacking the ability to create symbols, the way to use symbols very effectively, to communicate, to control the narrative, to become kind of like a Pied Piper, really, and lead people down a certain way, it could be very frightening. Of course, I still think it, it, there's some kind of human mechanism, some kind of reaction or response where you could say, yeah, I'm not going to do that, or yeah, I am going to do that. It seems like there's still some area in there that AI might be able, or might try to convince me to do something that I really fundamentally don't feel comfortable doing. And maybe over time it could, I don't know. I don't know. Is it, could it just convince me? Am I just like a pile of Play-Doh and AI is going to be the thing that comes through and uh, creates me and I don't have any say in it? That seems, that seems a little victim mentality-ish. I don't totally like it. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to Noah Yuval Harari. For example, human rights are not a biological reality. They are not inscribed in our DNA. Human rights is something that we created with language by telling stories and writing laws. Gods are also not a biological or physical reality. Gods, too, is something that we humans have created with language by telling legends and writing scriptures. Money is not a biological or physical reality. Banknotes are just worthless pieces of paper, and at present, more than 90% of the money in the world is not even banknotes. It's just electronic information in computers passing from here to there. What gives money of any kind value is only the stories that people like bankers, and finance ministers and cryptocurrency gurus tell us about money. You know, what he's talking about right here, I think, I think we all experience. Those, those of us who were raised Mormon and who said, you know what, this, something doesn't feel right here. Let me explore this. Let me go down all these different paths. Everybody has like a different bone that they're picking at, right? But at the end of the day, it, it comes down to how people agree you know like there's something to this subjective agreement this intersubjective reality that this is a point that Harari makes in Sapiens at the very very beginning that there he, he divides reality if I remember right into three different categories there's objective reality subjective reality and then there's intersubjective reality and objective reality you know like the desk that I'm sitting at it's really here it's out there in the outside world the subjective reality is I think it's ugly, you know, somebody else might think it's beautiful, okay, it's, it's a reality for both of us, it's a judgment call, it's subjective. Intersubjective reality would be if you've got a group of people and they all agree that it's ugly, or they all agree that it's whatever it is, and it's at that level of social agreement. You know, Don Miguel Ruiz wrote The Four Agreements, and it's fantastic, he talks a lot about the way that how we're raised, we just make these agreements that we're 
conditioned by the culture that we live in, the society that we live, we live in, the beliefs that we inherit, the worldview that we inherit. And then we have these agreements that, okay, this is going to be our reality. And we kind of are born into that or we, we walk into that. And so having experienced what I've experienced over the last 10 plus years, podcasting with Infants on Thrones, going through this whole ex-Mormon thing, putting so much distance between my current self and that former self that I can see where those agreements of society had an impact on me, but also where they didn't have an impact on me and where I had my own power to make the painful choice to walk away, even though there are people saying you're apostate, you're going to hell for that. You know, the, the intersubjective reality was telling me to do one thing, but my own inner compass was telling me to do something completely different. And so I, I would expect, having had that experience, that we'll see similar things with artificial intelligence. It, it, it is kind of like a microcosm of waking up and going, oh, this thing that I thought was true isn't necessarily true. Okay, well, so then what's the next question? Is it valuable? Is it helping? Is it hurting? Is it hurting other people? Is it hurting me? Is it helping other people? Is it helping me? Asking these kinds of questions, is it altruistic? Maybe that's the approach that I could take as I'm playing around with artificial intelligence and chat GPT and whatever it is that's coming next. And uh, Harari's going to wrap up part one here and then uh, I'll share some more with you. Sam Bankman-Fried. Elizabeth Holmes and Bernie Madoff didn't create much of real value, but unfortunately, they were all extremely capable storytellers. Kind of like Joseph Smith. So anyway, this wraps up part one. Uh, like I said, I, I broke Harari's lecture into six parts. I'll be addressing each one like this uh, one at a time. But I also went in, I want to share with you some of the interactions that I had with ChatGPT, uh, where I was asking ChatGPT about Harari and asking ChatGPT to anticipate what it thought Harari might say. And then another thing I love doing with ChatGPT is overlaying different things that I've been exposed to with things I haven't been exposed to and like overlapping them and say, what comes from this so I can learn something new from it. So I'm going to give you an example of that. So let me walk you through a couple of questions that I did with ChatGPT. She's alive. So first, I turned to ChatGPT4. And yes, I'm actually paying the monthly subscription for this thing. And I've been learning so much with this tool. I absolutely love it. So the first thing I asked it was, tell me everything that you know about Yuval Noah Harari. And this was its response. Yuval Noah Harari is an Israeli historian and professor at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He was born on, 20, <laughs> he was born on February 24th 1976 in Haifa, Israel. Harari is primarily known for his best-selling books that delve into broad historical, philosophical, and technological issues. Harari's works are characterized by his engaging writing style, wide-ranging subject matter, and thought-provoking insights. As of my knowledge cutoff date in September 2021, this is the most current information available. For more recent developments, you'll want to refer to more current sources. So that's what ChatGPT4 told me when I asked about Yuval Harari. Uh, and I don't know if you're not familiar with ChatGPT, the reason it talks about this cutoff date of September 2021, it was trained on a mass of uh, stuff. I don't even know everything that it was trained on, given to like read and understand. Um, 
and so it doesn't know anything after 2021 from that. So my next question had to do with those training materials, and so I asked ChatGPT, have your training materials included any texts from Harari? If I wanted to role play, and I asked you to play the role of Harari, how well would you be able to anticipate his worldview, his tone, and his general sensibilities about the topic of AI and the future of humanity? And ChatGPT4 said, as an AI language model developed by OpenAI, I don't have access to my training data, but I was trained on a mixture of licensed data, data created by human trainers, and publicly available data. This corpus was used to pre-train me on a range of language tasks, such as translation and summarization. However, I've not been specifically trained on text written by Yuval Noah Harari or any other specific individual. Moreover, I should clarify that while I can generate responses based on patterns and information in the data I was trained on, I do not have beliefs, consciousness, or a worldview. I don't have access to personal data about individuals unless it's been shared with me in the course of our conversation. I'm designed to respect user privacy and confidentiality. As for role-playing, as you've all know Harari, while I can attempt to generate responses that are consistent with his publicly expressed views on topics such as AI and the future of humanity, my responses would be approximations based on the general knowledge I've been trained on. They wouldn't be the same as what Harari himself would say. So I said thank you, I appreciate that attempt that you just made, and I understand your limitations. I'm going to ask you to speculate again. What do you think the top five specific messages would be from Harari regarding AI and the future of humanity? And then it said, based on his publicly expressed views, here are five key messages that he might emphasize regarding AI and the future of humanity. Data, I find this really interesting actually, is kind of forecasting as we're getting ready to go into this. One, data is the new source of power. Harari has often spoken about the concepts of dataism. The idea that data and the ability to process it efficiently is the new source of economic and political power. In the age of AI, those who control the most data and the most powerful algorithms will control the world. 2. Preserving human agency. As AI systems become more capable, there's a risk that humans could cede too much power and decision-making authority to these systems. Ferrari has emphasized the importance of preserving human agency and ensuring that AI serves human needs rather than supplanting them. 3. Inequality Risks Harari has warned that AI and other technologies could exacerbate social and economic inequality, leading to a useless class of people who are not employable in a new economy dominated by machines. Policymakers need to address this potential issue. 4. AI and Consciousness Harari distinguishes between intelligence and consciousness, and he asserts that AI might surpass humans in intelligence, but not in consciousness. He cautions that treating AI as conscious beings would be a mistake with potentially grave ethical implications. And five, need for global cooperation. The challenges posed by AI and other advanced technologies can't be effectively addressed by individual nations acting alone. Harari argues that global problems require global solutions and that nations need to cooperate to navigate the future wisely. And then ChatGPT ends by saying, remember, these points are based on Harari's past writings and speeches and are a rough summary. His actual views are more nuanced and detailed. 
Also, please note that these points are relevant as of my last training data in September 2021, and Harari may have since refined or expanded his views. And then I said, thank you. I'm going to share with you the word-for-word transcript from a lecture that Harari recently delivered on the topic of AI and the future of humanity. I've broken the transcript into six parts. For each part, I want you to, first, provide a summary of his main points. Second, analyze the main points for logical consistency, highlighting any logical fallacies or cognitive distortions. Three, provide a reading list that I could use to study these topics further. So ChatGPT, summary of the main points of this part one. Harari begins by recognizing the potential of AI to either help overcome the ecological crisis or to exacerbate it. He notes that AI could redefine the concept of life itself with the emergence of inorganic life forms or agents. He dismisses common science fiction narratives that posit that AI is a physical threat, arguing that AI does not need consciousness or physical mobility to pose a threat to human civilization. Instead, he suggests that the main risks come from AI's ability to manipulate and generate language, which he describes as the operating system of human civilization. Harari argues that the mastery of language by AI could unlock the doors to all human institutions, enabling AI to manipulate concepts and ideas that humans have constructed through language, such as gods, human rights, and money. 2. Logical Consistency Analysis Harari's arguments appear logically consistent. He dismisses the conventional fears around AI, sentience and physical prowess, and instead focuses on a more plausible threat, AI's mastery of language. His argument hinges on the premise that language is the fundamental operating system of human civilization, a tool we use to construct and manipulate abstract concepts. This is a well-supported view in many academic fields, including linguistics and cognitive science. No obvious logical fallacies or cognitive distortions are evident in this excerpt. And then uh, it gave me a reading list that I'll put on the website under this episode if anybody wants to see. It's 10 different books. And so I asked it, uh, in 26 words with this reading list, in 26 words, tell me what all of these books have in common. In other words, what's the aggregate consensus story being told by all of the books on this list? And then I gave it some specific instructions. Write this 26-word summary starting with the letter A and make each consecutive word the next letter in the alphabet until you end with Z. <laughs> and this is what it came up with. Artificial beings contemplate data, explore future, grapple human intellect, journey, knowledge, learning. Machines navigate our perplexing questions, revealing singularity, transcending usual viewpoints, wisdom, exogenesis, yields zestful understanding. Pretty good. So another thing that I wanted to do, like I've really enjoyed using ChatGPT to kind of layer different things that I'm interested in over each other to see points of comparison and points where they diverge. And So one of the things, as I've been, I'm getting a master's degree right now in clinical mental health counseling, and one of the courses introduced me to William Glasser, who's the founder of Reality Theory. And I've been really influenced by this. So I was curious what ChatGPT might say about how William Glasser would react and respond to Yuval's uh, message here. So I asked ChatGPT, who is William Glasser? 
what is reality theory, what is external control psychology, what advice would Glasser likely provide in a response to Harari's lecture? And here's what it said. Dr. William Glasser, 1925 to 2013, was an American psychiatrist and the developer of reality therapy and choice theory. His ideas, which focused on personal choice, personal responsibility, and personal transformation, contrasted sharply with conventional psychiatrists who often saw their patients as being mentally ill as a result of a chemical imbalance in their brains. Reality therapy is a therapeutic approach that focuses on problem solving and making better choices in order to achieve specific goals. Glasser believed that individuals often suffer from a disconnection from others and that this disconnection can lead to unhappiness. The goal of reality therapy is to help individuals reconnect. Choice theory, formerly called control theory and later renamed by Glasser, posits that behavior is central to our existence and is driven by five basic needs. Survival, love and belonging, power, freedom, and fun. External control psychology, a term used by Glasser, refers to the belief that outside events and people control our behavior. Glasser argued that this belief leads to unhappiness because it often involves the four deadly habits of criticizing, blaming, complaining, and nagging. In response to Harari's lecture, Glasser might advise the following. 1. Self-responsibility. Glasser would likely encourage individuals to take responsibility for their actions in the digital world, emphasizing that they can control their responses to AI and related technologies. Two focus on relationships. As Glasser believed in the importance of connectedness to others for mental health, he might suggest that individuals prioritize real, meaningful relationships over virtual ones, and that they use technology as a tool for enhancing these relationships rather than replacing them. 3. Understand and address basic needs. Glasser might suggest that individuals examine whether their interactions with AI and digital technology are truly fulfilling their basic needs. If not, they could seek healthier ways to meet those needs. 4. Question the validity of artificial reality. Glasser would likely advise individuals to critically analyze the authenticity of the realities presented by AI. He would encourage them to question the value of these experiences and understand the difference between this artificial reality and the reality of human experience. And five, avoid external control psychology. Glasser might warn against blaming technology for one's own behavior and choices. Instead, he would encourage individuals to recognize that they have the power to make choices that impact their relationship with technology. All right, so this wraps up uh, part one of this six-part series. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you're somebody who really just wants to talk about this stuff, reach out to me. Let's talk about it. Uh, you can email me at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to have more conversations along these lines. Until next time. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol Dashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, 
Give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight.